if you're telling the Wikipedia version of the story, then you're not doing a good job as a filmmaker. It's like, what's beneath the surface? And as long as there's stories to tell and as long as there's opportunities to get beneath that surface, I'm going to keep doing what I do. Welcome to Beyond the Lens, presented by Diesel Films. I am Seth Shapiro. And I'm AJ Speaks. In this episode, we welcome award-winning director Anthony Smith, who has been a driving force at NFL Media for the last 16 years. Among his important work in the social justice space for the NFL, Anthony has directed documentaries about Fritz Pollard, Nipsey Hussle, and for this conversation, we will go beyond the lens on his film about the dynamic Hall of Fame running back, Jim Brown, as part of the NFL Films documentary series, A Football Life. Anthony was just nominated for seven Sports Emmy Awards. An impressive feat. Anthony tells us how his military upbringing helped shape his love of movies, what it was like being in the presence of the great Jim Brown, and he shares some insightful advice for aspiring filmmakers. Here is Beyond the Lens from Diesel Films. Today we have a very special guest, not only a friend of mine, but he is an Emmy award-winning director, Anthony Smith. Anthony, what's good, my man? How's it going, Seth, AJ? How you guys feeling this morning? Looking forward to talking to you. So, Anthony, we break this podcast up into three acts, with the first act being about you and your upbringing. Talk a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, you know, I know you moved around a lot. Yeah, so I was actually born in Germany. My father was in the military for 27 years. So, uh, so I was born in Germany, came back to the States, went back to Germany before I was able to settle down. And my parents were able to settle down a little bit uh, when I was in high school. I lived in Maryland and Alabama and Texas and California and, and, you know, as I mentioned, Germany. And I think seeing so much of the country and seeing so much of the world at a young age definitely had an impact on me and just my perspective in terms of the country, but in terms of the people in the country and the way that we were all the same and, you know, and, and differences that, you know, that we had that should be highlighted and should be celebrated. So I think, I think moving, moving around a lot definitely had an impact on me and and in some ways led to my love of sports and also my love of entertainment. I learned very early on that the quickest way to make friends with the new school. I mean, you've all we've all seen the shows, the sitcoms where the new kid at school gets picked on and and they got to fit in, but I, me and my brother quickly realized very early on that if you were good in sports, that you make friends very quickly. But also if you kind of knew what was going on from a pop culture standpoint, music, movies, television, uh, that was also a, uh, an icebreaker and a way to make friends. So, so in some ways, that was a defense mechanism early on that ended up, you know, blossoming into into a full love affair, if you will, with those two with those uh, two two topics. When did you know that you wanted to get into film, and who was your occupational inspiration? Wow. So, so I remember very early on, and this 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 happened in Germany when we went back. So we went back to Germany when I was seven years old, and we stayed for three years. Um, and seven to ten, you know, those are those are those are key years, you know, in the development of a young person. And so we get over there, we found out early on that they had one American television station, and it played like TV shows from like the '60s and, and '70s. Man, it was like old stuff. So we we used to rent a lot of movies. So during those three years, I was just watching everything that I could I could get my hands on. You know, a lot of Steven Spielberg movies. You know, comic book movies were starting to happen. I think the first Batman came out at that time. And then uh, right before we left, uh, there's a movie that came out called Do the Right Thing. And I saw Do the Right Thing and I was like, I had never seen anything like that. And in some ways it was shocking because the content isn't really content that you would think would be appropriate for a, a nine or 10 year old. But my parents both were like, this is important that you see. This is, a, this is an important film. 
And I watched that and was just blown away because I'd never seen anything like that. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta find out more about you know how this came to be and 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 who you know who Mookie is. Come to find out that Mookie was actually the director of the film, Spike Lee. And you know when we're kids, you know they they had those little they had those little books, you know, on your favorite athletes and you know and and entertainers like Tom Cruise and Eddie Murphy and all these people. And they're like, you know, 40, 50 pages. You get them in the library. You just read about all these different all these different people, these biographies. I got a biography on Spike Lee, and um, I was like, "Man, this is this is amazing!" And then, as I get into middle school and high school, as I watch more movies, I start to learn more about television production and, and film production. But then, at the same time, watching a lot of a lot of sports and just wanting to know how do they do this? Like, how does this game end up on TV? And just being very inquisitive at a young age in terms of how things were made and how the things that ended up on our TVs got made. I knew that I wanted to do something in that arena very early on. I knew I wanted to do something centered around sports, but also television or, or film that kind of dealt with my love of sports. I, I figured they would get back to Spike <laughs> at some point. It always it always goes back to Spike. <laughs> have you met Spike, Anthony? I have not, I have not. I've met a lot of people who have not met Spike Lee. Oh, that's gotta happen. That's gotta <laughs> happen. Got I wanna meet you. Yeah, that's got to happen. I'm surprised you haven't met him through something. Uh, but I did want to ask you, I know you spent some of your formative years in Alabama going to high school in the South. What was that like, you know, being a black teenager down in Alabama uh, during those years? Well, it, it was very interesting. And, you know, in some ways, I'm glad that, no, actually, in many ways, in many ways, I'm glad that's where I spent. And I was there from, I think, seventh grade through through uh, through 12th grade. And in some ways, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that that's where I went to high school because that's like the heart of the civil rights movement. It's like, and that's still, you know, in the nineties, you can still feel that those people are still, they're still in their fifties. You know, it's not like they're senior citizens. They're still late forties, early fifties. So that history is there and it's everywhere and it's all around you. So you're able to, you're able to, to, to learn so much just by being around these giants. I mean, the pastor of my church actually marched with Dr. King. So all of that history is, it's just at your fingertips. That was great to, to, to experience. You know, it's interesting because, you know, moving out to LA, you know, one of the first things people ask is like, man, you, you grew up in Alabama. What was, what was that like? And to be honest, I, I had a tougher time acclimating to LA because when I moved to LA, I found LA actually to be more segregated than Alabama was. And, and it was very, it was very interesting because LA, look, I mean, you know, for anybody that's lived in LA or been been in LA for any period of time, you know LA is very broken up into into ethnic enclaves. Where you have South Central, you have East LA, you have Koreatown, you know you have Beverly Hills. Everybody lives in their little neighborhoods. And the way that LA is set up, unlike a city like New York or or Chicago, where there's public transportation, you could be in your your car, go to work, go home, and not really interact with anybody else. Unless you're in a sports arena, you know that's one of the that's still one of the one of the places where people from all cultures can come and congregate together in a city like LA. But that was a, I mean, LA moving to LA was a it was a rude awakening, and and there was definitely some acclimation that had to be had to happen on my end because I was used to being around you know many different people. Um, that's also you know coming from a military you know background where you know on a military base, you know military is made up of everybody. So so even though I was growing up in Alabama. I was still sheltered in some ways from some of the the things that people may think of when they think of the Deep South. And you know, and there and there were instances where you kind of, you know, you know where to where to go and where to avoid. And 
there's, there's certain cities and, and, and little towns that you, you know, if you're going down to, for the high school football game, you might want to take the, the scenic route versus going, you know, taking the direct route. But no, I mean, all in all, I, I, it was it was a it was a great experience. What was your experience like at USC Film School? I loved USC. I loved USC. I mean, uh, you know, they they talk about you know USC Film School being the best film school in the world, and the training that you get, the learning that you that you that you're able to achieve while you're there, it's second to none. But I think more than anything, it's the relationships that you make. Many of those those people that I went to school with, they're still in the industry today. And they're still they're still friends to this day. Still calls that that you can make if you're working through something or if you have an idea, but you know you need to, to workshop it a little bit. It's the, the relationships were key, but also being able to listen to, to John Singleton come in and and give a give a lecture, or a Steven Spielberg to come in and give a lecture. Dr. Todd Boyd from USC, shout out, who I still talk to to this day, listening listening to his lectures. There were so many great filmmakers that would come through and just give lectures and talk about uh, the craft. That those words are still words that stick with me to this day. You know, with things that I do and in projects that I work on. Yeah, and I know Dr. Boyd, I interviewed him for a um, Dave Parker documentary for MLB, and, and he had yeah. great things to say about you. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. He he was like Anthony, my student, yeah, and now now he's your friend. You know, he, he's yeah. your boy. Yeah, that's my that's my guy. People that's awesome. like that are great mentors, right? Have you have, have y'all created that mentor relationship? Well, I mean, look, the thing is, and it, it, it's funny. My wife and I were just talking about this last night about mentors and mentorship, and like what true mentorship is. And I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel. You guys may feel the same. You may feel differently. But I found like like with true mentors in in my life. They're people that nine times out of 10, when you're talking to them, you're just talking about life. You're just talking about, you know, your kids and, you know, just challenges that you're having with COVID, and, you know, and and just, you know, how are you doing? And they're just checking in and you're checking in on them. And obviously work plays a part in it, but it's a it's a relationship. It's a friendship. It's a, you know, it's, it's like any other relationship in your in your life. And, and it goes both ways. If, if, if they're doing all the giving and you're doing all the taking, it doesn't work and vice versa. If you're doing all the giving and, and you're the one that's proactive and reaching out and, and they're, they're not really, you know, reciprocating, then, then it doesn't work either. And I've had those situations in my life as well, where, where there's people that you think are your mentors and you want them to be your mentors, but they're, they're not really, they're not really your mentors. And there are people that, you know, you wake up, you know, five years later and you're like, man, I learned so much with this person and I'm going to be going to continue to talk to this person and, and, and learn from this person and just kind of take what I can from their experience and, and, and their guidance, you know, as, as we're on this path, you know, in our careers, but also, also in life. So Anthony, we're going to enter into the second act. And, and obviously there are so many films of yours uh, that we could talk about. Uh, Fritz Pollard, uh, the black quarterback documentary series. I mean, there's just so many. But for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to focus on Jim Brown, which was part of the Emmy award-winning series of Football Life. How did it uh, come about that you're able to direct Jim Brown of Football Life? So, so that's a very that's a it's, it's a very interesting journey with with that particular with that particular film. So the backstory is that at that point, and you know, like now, you know, 2021, I've known known Monique Brown, who's Jim's wife, and Jim. For, for over a decade now. But at the point of the film, I had known him for a few years. And Jim had appeared in a couple of projects that, that I'd worked on. And, you know, again, just somebody, Jim and his wife, you know, we talk about mentors and, and direct mentors and indirect mentors. And it just seemed like every time I would talk to Jim and his wife, 
there'd just be something that I would take away and I'd just be like, man, like they, like they are, they are, they are on it. And then they're just, uh, you know, a wealth of knowledge in terms of, in terms of navigating, navigating the world. Um, so I'd known them for a couple of years. And by this point a football life was a, was a series that NFL films had produced, I think for like three or four years at that point. And they had interviewed the legends of the game, you know, but Jim Brown was a name that they, that they had tried and at that point just hadn't had success on. And Jim is very, you know, Jim is very particular in terms of the projects that he that he selects and that he takes. And for whatever reason, Jim hadn't hadn't agreed to do a football life yet. Around the time of his 80th birthday, I started uh, having conversations with with Monique about finding a way to celebrate Jim's 80th birthday on the NFL Network. Uh, so we were kicking around some ideas. And one of the ideas that came up, she had this great idea. She was she said, what if we did some sort of roundtable where it's Jim with players that that he that he respects and players that idolize him. So we ended up doing a roundtable. It was Jim, it was Marcus Allen, it was Marshall Falk, it was Eric Dickerson, it was Franco Harris, Curtis Martin. And coming off of that, and it was it was amazing. And um, and <laughs> those, mean, are, those are those man, are man, that's some big names. <laughs> those are those are those are alphas in every sense of the word. But to see the way that to see the way that they deferred and their respect for Jim was amazing because they weren't alphas on that day. Like there was one alpha and it was Jim Brown. So coming out of that, Monique brought up the, the, the fact that, that films had reached out about doing Jim Brown Football Life. And so we were talking in any way to make a long story short, um, I had previously done a film with NFL Films the year before. It's called The Tale of Two Cities on the, on the rivalry between the Cowboys and 49ers in the cities of Dallas and San Francisco over the course of 25 years. So looking at the two teams, but also looking at what was happening in the cities. So I had just done a film with them. Anyway, just start having conversations and one thing led to another. So they felt comfortable with me coming on and, and directing uh, this particular film and working with films. I actually worked with them, you know, years uh, since then as well on, on, on multiple projects. But working with them was great. And the way that they have it set up, man, it's, it's amazing because you have a partner. So no matter what film you have, like there's two people that attack the film. So my partner on this, I got to give a shout out, Angela Torma, who's co-producer, editor. She was like the right hand person on that. And we were able to tell a pretty amazing story. And Jim was great. And, you know, you think somebody 80 years old, you think that they would be moving at a, at a slower pace, wouldn't be as willing to travel, wouldn't be as willing to do long interviews. But Jim, Jim had not slowed down then. And five years later, Jim is still not slowed down. And he's still all over the place, traveling everywhere. But it was amazing. I mean, and, and being able to spend a year with Jim and do, you know, long interviews with him, but also talk to so many different people who respected him and who were icons in their own right, you know, from, from Jesse Jackson to, to Harry Edwards to, uh, you know, obviously great great running backs like Larry Zonka and Emmitt Smith and, you know, you name it, uh, you know, Eric Dickerson, Marcus Allen, all these greats and the, the level of respect that they had for him. It was really, it was really eye-opening and inspirational to see. A couple questions on the interviews. How many of them did he grant you? How long did they go? Were there any challenges there? Uh, and then one, why did you pick the warehouse setting for the one, for the one interview? So there were two interviews. Uh, they're roughly two hours each. So there was one interview that we focused specifically on 
on the football. And then in the other interview, I uh, decided to focus specifically on life after football. Because in many ways, look, this is an hour-long doc. It could have been three hours. Uh, because Jim's life, you know, you have football, um, you have Hollywood, which is which is an often forgotten part of, of his story where, you know, in, in reality, Jim was the first black action star and was that for about a decade. So you have that. And then obviously we know the work that he's done in the social justice uh, sphere, you know, the work's bringing the Bloods and Crips together, you know, in some ways being a, a big brother to Muhammad Ali, which I didn't even realize when the uh, project started, you know, we saw a little bit of that in, in, the, in Regina King's uh, great film that, that just came out one night in Miami. Or you know, we think we think Muhammad Ali and we think this this fully developed icon, but seeing that there was somebody that he actually looked up to and deferred to and kind of guided him uh, was was eye opening and you know uh, a great story from from this particular doc. I wanted to interview uh, Muhammad and his wife Lonnie uh, for this project and. By that point, Muhammad wasn't doing any 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 more interviews. And during production, and his his wife Lonnie, she agreed. Uh, during production, unfortunately, tragically, he passed away. So I I I just assumed that that his wife was going to end up passing on the opportunity as well. And I hadn't followed up, and I hadn't reached out to you know to all you know pay my respects and make sure that you know that I wasn't doing anything that was out of pocket. And I ended up getting an email from her asking when we're going to do the interview. And I was shocked. I was like, she still wants to do the interview. And that gesture alone, and then talking with her about Jim's relationship with Muhammad, it clicked and I understood why. She had so much respect for Jim and their relationship that she still wanted to do the interview. Uh, and that, look, that tells you everything you need to know about Jim Brown. Amazing, amazing. Now, I know Jim, you touched on in the film, you know, he kind of had a temper. He's a little bit surly of a guy. How tough was it, you know, interviewing Jim? And, you know, did you did you feel any of that intimidation? He's a very intimidating uh, figure. Not not really. Um, again, I had known him. I had I, I, been around him uh, enough over the previous years to not be, you know, not be intimidated. But intimidate, I think intimidated might be the wrong word. There's obviously a respect and there's a high respect factor, you know, not only with Jim, but with a lot of these these iconic figures that we that we do interviews with. I mean, you know, Seth, I know that you do a lot with, you know, with Bob Costas and, you know, and and other legends and icons that, you know, that we grew up watching and wanting to wanting to emulate. And there's a respect factor and there is there is an awe. But I don't I don't know if I don't know if I was intimidated or, or if I ever do get intimidated just because I think that I'm just so comfortable in doing what I do. Seth, I, I, I would think just kind of knowing you as long as I've known you and, and talking to you you're the same way. Like we know, we know how to interview, how to interview somebody and we, and we're comfortable and we, we, and we come in prepared for these particular, these particular interviews. So I think the key is just being prepared. Um, and if you're prepared um, and there's a respect factor and there's a respect factor on both ends, which there was, I felt, I felt comfortable. I felt like I was in good hands. And uh, I will say this though, <laughs> I will say this is that Jim Brown you know, even even at this at this at this stage in his, in his life, just looking at him and seeing how big he is <laughs> and how strong he looks, it's like I couldn't imagine trying to like tackle that guy when he was like twenty or thirty. But even at eighty, I'm like, this is a this is a big guy, 
Yeah. I think I saw him in Miami. I saw him in Miami like 10 years ago and he was like jacked. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I saw him at like a market and he was just like, he, you know, people were just like, we're not talking to this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he looks tough. Yeah. yeah. There's just, there's just physical. Yeah. yeah and, and, but that's the other thing too. And you hit on it, on it, Seth. It's not just being physically big. It's just, it's just an aura. It's just, uh, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just this, this thing where, you know, when he travels, you know, and, and you're, you're in the presence, you're like, okay, man, I, I, I get it. And there's very, there's very few people that I've been around that are that are like that or that are just presences where you're like man this is this is this is just on a different level i remember i was in a i was at a super bowl one year i think it was in houston and like there's there's very few moments just doing this as long as i've done it where i just have to stop and be like man this is this is crazy but i was at a super bowl uh party and it's this huge room and shaquille o'neal comes into the room and everybody's like, oh my God, it's Shaq. And everybody's looking at people like, you know, with the with the pictures. And then on the other side of the room, Yao Ming comes into the room. And it's Yao Ming. And so Yao Ming sees Shaq from across the room and they just start coming together. I swear to God, it was like Godzilla and King Kong. And people are just like, and like everybody's like this small. You're seeing them come through the through the room. You're like, this is crazy. Like this is not this is not normal stuff right here. Uh, but uh but but Jim Brown kind of has that. Has that presence where I've been around him enough times where I, where I just got to see people look at him when he comes in, and even though we may not get intimidated, you can see other people get intimidated. It's kind of it's kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. He had a great line in that in that where Jim Brown was the only was always in motion. Only a lens and a camera could stop him. What 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 came first? Was it the line or was it the idea to do the floating photos and that whole thing? Walk us through that process. So the, flo the, the, the floating photos, I think it was very early on, one of the first interviews might have been Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And um, we're talking about another, another icon, another legend when he comes to the room, people were just like, oh my God, it's Kareem. And we were talking and we just kind of started talking about, you know, some of the pictures that they had taken over the course of, you know, of their life or um, and just kind of at different phases in their life and different places they had been. And not necessarily pictures together, but just, you know, the, the idea of pictures came up. And when I stopped and started to think about it, I was like, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you just look at different pictures in Jim's life, there's just so many different, almost like different lives within this, within this one life. So the idea is that with the floating images is that as the images are floating through the, through the air, you know, you just pick one, you know, image. If you just grab one of the images out of the air, you know, that could be one life. And if you grab, another picture that could be that could be another life if you this is the life of a social activist or this is the life of of a great football player this is the life of of, of a hollywood star so this is the life of of like a michael eric dyson or an al sharpton and this is the life of, of an emma smith or a barry sanders or this is the life of a tom cruise or eddie murphy but it actually happens to be the same person so the idea is like all these different lives that you know that you can just kind of snatch out of the air you could have gone in so many different directions but the fact that this was just one person, you know, and it, as it lands, you see it's one person. That was the idea. How challenging was it to try to capture all of his football greatness in that one little in that in in that way when you only had so much time? <laughs> uh, extremely challenging. The first cut of this thing was I can't. I, mean, I think it was like over two hours long, and we had to cut down um, less than an hour. I mean, it had to be you know with commercial breaks. I think we were around 42, 43 minutes. 
So, um, so there's a lot that got left on the on the cutting room floor. But I mean, it was tough. I mean, just the Hollywood section. I mean, there was so much that got cut out there. Now it was tough, but having an outline, and I know some people outline, some people don't outline. Uh, I'm a big proponent of outlining and, and pretty much laying out how beat by beat this film, this project, this feature could go. And then obviously, you know, you you leave room for curveballs and to go in a completely different direction if you if you have to, and if the, if the interviews take you somewhere else. Having an outline, I was able to to stick to the outline for the most part, and that helped kind of funnel the questions and and keep keep a tunnel vision on the questions and keep me you know on online and uh, on track as i was doing the interviews i had a question about that is there ever any discussion of doing a longer version for you know maybe a streaming platform or you know anything like that because i know there's a yeah. challenge working in a seven act structure yeah uh, there hasn't been there hasn't been yeah that's a good idea so i think i'm gonna, i think i'm gonna write, <laughs> i think i'm gonna take that idea that's actually a good idea because there's definitely a lot. There's a lot that got cut. Yeah, I mean, such a dynamic life. I'm, I'm sure, like, there's just so much that you couldn't get to. Yeah, no, there's a, there's definitely a lot that left got left on the cutting room floor. When it Crazy. came to the Hollywood section, what made you decide to get some of the guests, like Oliver Stone? Was was he a good? Was he a guest that you just hey, I had to go get him, and why? Well, okay, so so some more back backstory. It's Oliver Stone. So. I have like three favorite directors. Spike Lee is one. Oliver Stone is 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 also on the that that short list. Like I grew up watching JFK and Platoon and and Born on the Fourth of July and you know peak Oliver Stone. I was a I was a big big fan. My dad used to watch a lot of a lot of war movies also. Um, so I'd kind of pop in in and out and then you know on my own as I got a little bit older, I you know I would I would watch him. But Oliver Stone was somebody that obviously had worked with Jim, but through research I had found out was also a huge football fan. So I thought it made a lot of sense knowing that that we weren't going to have as much time during the Hollywood section. The idea was to find the right voices and voices that that really jumped out in terms of in terms of taking through taking us through the Hollywood career. That was one thing that I didn't know about him is how many movies he actually did. Yeah. And the movie the 100 Rifles he did with Raquel Welsh. I'm wondering yeah. did the did the ask go out for Raquel? She I was did for that she, no, no, she was actually she was actually going to do it, and then schedule schedule end up ended up kind of breaking down. And then when we when her schedule became when she became free again, we were already in post production, and and it would have been tough to to add her in. But uh, but that that ass did definitely go out. I was curious about that. What was yeah, it like yeah. getting Belichick? He started to tell a great story, and he talked about the conversation, but he never went into the content of what the conversation was about. What what was Belichick like? So Belichick, I actually didn't do the Belichick interview. So there okay. is a great, great filmmaker at, at NFL Films, Ken Rogers, that in many ways, you know, he's the he's the Belichick guy. Like he's he's interviewed Belichick, I think, more than maybe anybody, anybody ever. Uh, he does a lot of Belichick interviews. And he was doing an interview with Belichick for something else I can't remember. And we we sent along our sent along our, our questions for him. Got it. So but but having Belichick in it was great. I think it was great because Belichick's also somebody that that has this great affinity for Jim. And, and I know that they have a relationship going back to when Belichick was uh, coaching in Cleveland and they really struck up a friendship. And obviously coach Belichick being somebody that has, you know, a great love of the history of the game. I know many of us saw it when he hosted the NFL's all time team a couple of years ago. And I think he has a comment in that series where he's like, if it wasn't the NFL 100, if it was the NFL one, like Jim Brown would be the one, he'd be the one guy on the, on the team. Uh, which I thought was pretty was pretty pretty cool. The the people that that lined up to do interviews for this, 
you don't always get that. Sometimes it's tough. We we all know. Sometimes it's tough to get people to do interviews. You know, whether it's players, coaches, celebrities, civil rights activists, social commentators like Dr. Boyd and Dr. Edwards. Pretty much everybody, if their schedule, you know, permitted, they lined up to do the interview. Looking back uh, at the production of the film um, and the success of of the film, uh, what would you say you learned the most from making that film? You know, it's 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 interesting because there was a lot that I that I knew about about Jim's life. There's a lot that I knew about NFL history. I'm a big, big, big fan of Hollywood history. But just some of the things that that I did know about that that I learned about and you know during the research, talking to him, talking to other people was really eye-opening. Except to your point, the Hollywood section of it was just mind-blowing to me. I knew I'd seen Jim Brown in some movies, but (laughs) the fact that he was he was one of the guys for for a good good stretch there, and the fact that he left football at the peak of his powers to go to Hollywood, and the and the story behind that, it's crazy. And then just in terms of in terms of the football career and how dominant he was, I think it's tough to even now wrap your head around the fact that you know he led the league in rushing every single year. You know he played except one, and the one year that he didn't. I think he was second and he was hurt that year. You know what I mean? It's just like crazy to think about this dominance on on that level and comparing it to other athletes. And I'm like, obviously, you had Babe Ruth, who was just like head and shoulders above, uh, you know, above everybody else when he played. And there's just few athletes that are just that dominant and that head and shoulders above and that much better than everybody else at their at their sport. I mean, Tiger Woods, when he was at the peak of his powers, there's just there's just very, very few and and having hearing people talk about that, I think was was really cool. And people who were too young to see him talking about their parents talking about how great Jim Brown was, it's it's just like, man, it's like, you know, because you go and you're like, was this guy this good? And everybody's like, oh my God, I've never seen anything, I've never seen anything like this. I'm like, really? Um, but um, but uh but, uh, some of those highlights, I was like, is he sped up? I'm like, some of those highlights, he was like gone like a big, like a tractor trailer down the field. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like, I mean, you know, and it, it's a, it's an apples to oranges comparison, but seeing somebody like, like Derrick Henry now, it's mm-hmm. like, it just looks like bigger than everybody, stronger than everybody, faster than everybody. It's, uh, it, there's just very few athletes that are just better than everybody. And it's not fair. You know, you just put them on a field and like you like run, like you're five years old and you line everybody up to, to run a race. And that person is 20 yards ahead of the next person. Like, okay, well, this, this, this kid's got something special. i tell you one thing that jumped out to me that I didn't know is when you guys said he never missed a game. I'm like, mm-hmm. like really? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that was mind boggling. But I'll wrap up this the second act here with a question about you reincorporated the photos again at the end of the end of the film and you handed each person a photo, which I thought was a really nice touch. Did you pick those or did you let them pick which photos they were gonna hold? Now so basically, so I so we had a so so me and the team, we had a series of photos that we had that we picked out that we knew that would just be great photos. And ideally it was a photo that had something to do with their relationship with that person. So we gave them a couple of, of options to pick from and we had them had them there on the day and they'd be like, I want that one and I'd hand them the photo and, and away we went. And in some cases I would have them do shots with more than one photo just to have, you know, have a couple backups. But uh, yeah, we usually went with the, with the first choice. Worked out well. 
now we're going to enter into our third act. Uh, this is going to kind of bring us to present time now, and we'll, we'll get into some quick hitters. But talk about a little bit what, what's going on now with you. I know um, you've been a big driver of the social justice initiative with the NFL that, that's really happened and was spurred on, you know, with the murder of George Floyd. Talk a little bit about some of that work that you're doing now uh, with the NFL. So for, for roughly four or five years now, in many ways since since Kaepernick first took his stand, telling those stories and telling the stories of, of social justice has been something that has been very important to me. And in some ways it predates Kaepernick. I did a piece on Alton Sterling and uh, I don't know if you guys remember the, the story of Alton Sterling, but I had Ward Dunn, whose mother was a police officer, but who had been killed in the line of duty. Ward connected with the, the son of Alton Sterling, but also the, uh, the wife of a Baton Rouge police officer who had been killed in the line of duty. And they went to a Saints game together a few years ago. And I think that, I think that predated Kaepernick. It might've been right around the same time. But this, this type of work has been very important to me. So last year, when tragically Ahmaud Arbery was taken from us, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, I knew going into the season, especially with so many players speaking up uh, about the events that were happening, I knew I wanted to find a way to allow the players to have a platform to share how they were feeling. So heading into the season, the NFL decided to, to honor and, ha and, and work with players to honor the victims of, of social injustice by wearing uh, names uh, of these victims on the back of their helmets. So Alvin Kamara actually reached out to the league and um, Tracy Perlman, who uh, was the SVP of the league, reached out to her and said that he thought that that was a great gesture that the league was doing, but if there wasn't any storytelling behind it, then it was going to be an empty gesture, that it was just going to be, you know, symbolic and people would forget about it, you know, after a couple of weeks. So Tracy reached out to myself and another colleague of mine, Rich Elmore, and we, we spoke to, to Alvin, took his feedback, and uh, we created a series uh, called Say Their Stories, which allowed players the opportunity to share why they chose the names that they chose, but also in many ways were, were pieces that celebrated the lives of these individuals. Um, I had a great team that, that worked on this project with me. Two story producers, Quincy Young, Chelsea Stark-Jones, who really you know, knocked it out of the park with that series. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, Seth mentioned the Fritz Pollard documentary that I that I did last year. Did a piece a couple of years ago uh, where Deshaun Jackson talked about his relationship with Nipsey Hussle uh, that honored the late, great Nipsey. But, you know, using the platform, you know, as a filmmaker to, to, to shine a light on on some of the injustices that are going on in the country, but in many ways, giving players the opportunities to to share their stories, it's been been something that 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 I've really wanted to do and have been blessed with the opportunity to do. Do you have any other dreams and aspirations that you'd like to pursue, be it in film, in sports, or in other areas? Man, I, just, I, I love doing what I do. Man, I love telling stories and having the opportunity to to tell stories and to uh, you know, it's funny, like we talk about, you know, when you're when you starting a film or you're starting a project, uh, one of the first things you do is like you look up that person on Wikipedia or, or you know, you kind of Google them and, and you kind of see what pops up. And that's where you start. But when we did as filmmakers, as we really dig, especially documentary filmmakers, if you're telling the Wikipedia version of the story, then you're not doing a good job as a filmmaker. It's like what's beneath what's beneath the surface. And as long as there's stories to tell and as long as there's opportunities to get beneath that surface, I'm going to keep doing what I do. 
and I love doing what I do, and I just I just want to keep doing it, you know. For the the listeners out there, uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give them um, if they do want to make a documentary film? Well, I would I would I would say find a subject that you're passionate about. Find find a, a subject or a person whose story that you really want to share. And I would also say that in addition to wanting to just share that story, if there's a theme or if there's just something that's a big picture that you want to explore, definitely keep that in keep that in mind as well. Because sometimes, to be completely honest, a theme will come to me before a player or or a team or you know an event you know comes to me. So I'll give you a perfect example. Two act two examples. So when Nipsey when Nipsey was murdered. I, I was just like, I, I got, I got to do something with Nipsey. I got to do something that honors, that honors this guy's life. I mean, this, this brother was out, you know, trying to change the world and trying to make a difference. What's the Nipsey story? What's the Nipsey story? How do I tell a Nipsey story? A good friend of mine, an editor at the NFL, actually sent me an article. I don't even think he knew that I, I was trying to find a Nipsey story, but he just sent me an article. He's like, man, check this out. Deshaun Jackson was honoring Nipsey throughout the course of the season, I think it was two or three seasons ago now, by wearing uh, different Nipsey cleats each week. Now, Deshaun is somebody that I've known since he was a cow. So me and Deshaun have done like, almost like, I know Deshaun almost as long as I've known Jim Brown. We've done a number of projects over the course of, of the course of his career and, and, and my work and all those conversations. I never knew that he knew Nipsey. So I reached out to Deshaun and that was the quickest yes I think I've ever gotten. He was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and then, you know, even with, you know, even with, um, you know, the events that happened this past year, like I did a project where Tyler Lockett wrote a poem on what it is to be a black man in America, you know, last year. So that idea was basically, all right, I know I felt as a black man. How do I, how do I express this? And how do I express what so many different people are feeling, you know, in my role as a, as a, as a primarily sports documentarian? I knew that Tyler Lockett wrote poems. I knew that Tyler Lockett is, is very thoughtful and, and very perceptive. So knowing that this was initially an idea that came to me, I went to Tyler and asked him, could you put some put pen to paper and put some words together? And he did. The results were, were amazing. Number of players st- stepped up. Jalen Ramsey, Adrian Peterson, Aaron Donald, to name a few, Saquon. Um, they stepped up and recited his words. But to answer your question, Sometimes finding a, a player or, or a team or an event that you're passionate in. Sometimes just finding, it's just knowing that you're passionate about something and figuring out a way to tie it to something else or tie it to somebody else. But passion is the key. We're going to have to do a part two with Anthony uh, on the Fritz Pollard and the Nipsey. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, we watched several of your films and Fritz Pollard just grabbed my attention. I had been sitting on it for a while and I finally watched it and it was well done. Very well done. I had a ton of questions for that one, but I, I'll jump right to this one. When you look, talk to young black men like yourself that look like me and you, what advice do you give them? I know it may be different from the advice that you give someone making a film. Man, you know, it's, 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 it's work hard, man. It's, 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 and look, I tell this to a lot of young people that, that I speak to in panels, you know, and, and Q and A's and things of that nature. But I'm like, man, at the end of the day, and Seth could tell you this, it's working harder than the other person. You know, you can be as talented as you want to be, but working hard and outworking people, that's something that that's something that's in your control. You may not have the talent of Jim Brown. You may not have the talent of Nipsey, but if you're willing to work hard, you've got a chance. You've got a shot. 
you know, that's the great equalizer is hard work. So I tell people, you know, you have to work hard. And, you know, as black men, like we've always known that we got to work harder anyway. Black, you know, black people, you know, you grow up, your parents grow up telling you or you grow up listening to your parents saying you got to work harder and you got to be better to even have a shot, you know, because there's things that you're going to have to go through that others may not. You know, you, you're, you're a little bit behind in terms of where the race started. So you got to catch up. So it's so so hard work, dedication, and I would say, you know, and this this goes for everybody, being willing to learn and to never stop learning. Something my parents told me, and it, it's it's been so long, I can't remember if it was my mom or my dad, if it was both of them, but at a very early age, they said, you know, learn something new each day, meet somebody new each week. And if you're doing that, you know, you got a shot. So I try to learn something new every day and try to meet somebody. And it doesn't matter where they're coming from, what their background is, if they're in my in my field or if they're not. If you're meeting interesting people, you know, it 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 will help help you as you as you continue to to grow and continue to evolve in your life and your career and your worldview and everything. Just meeting people that are different than you, meeting people that have different perspectives of you, and just learning. It's like I tell my kids, man, it's like you guys. You guys have knowledge at your fingertips. There is nothing that you should not be able to. There, there's nothing you shouldn't know if you want to. If you want to know it, you should be able to jump on the jump on Google, uh, Yahoo, whatever, and and get the answers to the questions that you have. We used to have encyclopedias. Like we had to go to the library and the card catalog and all that. It's like it's like there's no excuse not to know and not to learn unless you don't want to, unless you're just lazy. So um, so yeah, learn, 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 and and. And even as filmmakers, you know, when, when we were coming up, like it was very specific in terms of the route that we had to take. It's like, I mean, Seth, you 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 know, man, there there, there weren't a hundred streamers and, and networks and and companies yeah. that are putting out content. It's like content is a new word. There wasn't content. There was there were TV shows and movies, and that was that was it. Um, yeah, exactly. So there's 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 just so many different so many different ways to to share to share stories. And to uh, and to and to tell stories. So I just say work hard and 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 if you want it, it's, it's at your fingertips. You just gotta go get it. Yeah, and I will say to speak to that work ethic. Uh, when I was working at the NFL Network uh, and I met Anthony, I literally see Anthony going to an edit bay on like Wednesday, and then he wouldn't come out till like Friday. Like literally, <laughs> like legendary edit sessions like unreal, like work ethic. You're like, yo, this kid's a natural born hustler. Like it was no joke. Like, so you just knew you had that passion from the get go and you're like, wow, you know, and other people didn't have that. So you could just see yeah. there's just such a huge difference between the people who are going to rise to the top and then the people that are going to either probably get out of the business or, you know, do real estate or something else. So that that's the testimonial to, to Anthony's work ethic. Nah, thanks, Seth. That means a lot, brother. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, a couple quick hitters here. Uh, favorite sports documentary? Woo, uh, man, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, look, OJ, OJ Made in America is, yeah, I mean, that, that's almost not even a sports documentary. That's just one of the best, that's just one of the best things I've ever seen. But I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of that. Traditional sports documentary? Man, I don't know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I um, like the two Escobars. I really like the two Escobars. I think there's one I'm missing. There's, there's something out there that, that, I can't think of right now that I'm gonna be mad that I forgot, <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I, I I just say OJ. Let's say OJ made it America. Person you interviewed or worked with that has made the biggest impression on you? 
That's probably Jim Brown. I mean, I, I was wondering if so you go there, but you, you've worked with some, you work with some heavy hitters now. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I, I've just, I've just done more interviews probably with Jim Brown, you know, over the course of 10 years than, than anybody. But uh, I mean, man, let me see. This wasn't an interview, but being around Jermaine Dupree for, for a couple of months uh, during leading up to the Super Bowl in Atlanta a couple of years was just cool to see his work ethic and to see just kind of kind of how how he gets down. I mean, interviews. I mean, look, man, I've, I've been able to interview icons that, that changed the world, like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and people people like this. I mean, it's it, it's amazing. But then, you know, you know, I was a big Cowboys fan being able to interview Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith and Deion Sanders and, and, and Michael Irvin. Like I was the biggest Michael Irvin fan there is, and, and Seth, you know, Seth knows Michael Irvin's always always around, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, in the NFL. Yeah. So, so um, he's like one of the boys. Yeah, he's he's always there. So I mean, it's just it's 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 a blessing to be able to to talk to so many different people. I mean, like even even this past this past year working on the black quarterbacks doc, but then also I did a piece for Super Bowl called Making of a Masterpiece, and being able. And within a week span to interview somebody like Anthony Anderson and then also Ozzy Osbourne, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing. And, and, but to be able to just kind of hear them talk after the interview is over and just talk to them about, you know, worldview and just, and just, you know, they're giving you life lessons without knowing, without giving you life lessons. They're just talking about things that they've been through in their life and, and you know, achieving greatness. And I think that that's been the key takeaway over all these years of doing so many interviews is, you know, it's it's when the cameras are rolling, but it's also when the cameras aren't rolling, and people are just giving you knowledge, and they're just things that you can use in your life, and they don't even they may not even realize that they're doing it, but you're just getting knowledge from people that have achieved greatness, and it's free. They're free masterclasses. You know what I mean? Like you got to pay for a masterclass, and you're just getting free masterclasses. When it came to working with Chadwick Boseman and John Lewis, were you actually able to work with both of them, or were they just on a project and they voiced it, or or they did things? So, so the narration for for the for the Chadwick for the HBCU documentary that Chadwick Boseman narrated was in the lead up to Black Panther. So this was like this would have been like in December, January, and Black Panther dropped in February. I don't think anybody knew Black Panther was going to be as big as it. it I mean, there's a lot of anticipation around it. And as there is anytime there's a Marvel movie, you know, even even before even before Black Panther hit, it's like, man, this guy just has nothing else. He just has some pipes where it's like he he conveys this this gravitas, this this this, you know, like like it's almost regal. Um, and then, of course, Black Panther hits. Uh, and, you know, looking back all these years later, just kind of thinking about all the all the Chadwick Boseman roles that we're not going to be able to have. You know, because he was tragically taken away from us. It's um, you know, it's 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 sad, but but the fact also that he jumped at the chance of narrating uh, a piece on HBCUs because that meant something to him, knowing his life was about to change, knowing this was right in the middle of the press tour for Black Panther, but carving out the time to do it. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about Chadwick Boseman. Um, and then with John Lewis, I actually didn't do the John Lewis interview. So that particular piece, I didn't direct it. I produced it, and the director of the piece actually um, actually did the interview. And then, uh, so the other time that that I had John Lewis in a project was actually the Atlanta Super Bowl mm-hmm. project that we were doing the lead up. And actually, my story producer did that interview because I was across town with Jermaine Dupree doing something else. So, <laughs> so those are the two times that my my paths went across with John Lewis, and. Uh, I almost wish I, I almost wish I would have switched now. But you think you know you think you think these people are gonna live for forever too, man? Which is yeah. which is you know, 
you know, I guess that's the, the sad, sad nature of, of, of life. You know, people don't live forever. So yeah. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman and John Lewis. Yeah. Uh, last question. Who would you want to hear on this podcast? <laughs> Josiah Johnson. Has he already been on? Oh, okay. Josiah been on this one? Has Josiah been on this one? No, not yet. Not yet. Josiah would be great. Josiah would be great on this. But look, I think this. I, I think that um, we're trying to focus on documentaries here. We're trying to focus. I got on you. I, I, I got you. I mean, look. I think that. I think that there's a there's a lot of great filmmakers at, at NFL Films. I think that it would be great. Trent Cooper, you know Trent. Shout out to Trent Cooper. I think Trent would be great. Trent has a lot of a lot of knowledge to share. Um, he would be a good one. Yeah, I think I think Trent would be great on this. You know, there's a there's a lot of, there's a lot of great filmmakers out there. There's a lot. I think now more than ever, there's people doing what we love and what we do um, in this space. And you know, spending time talking with you guys, as you see. Like that 30 minutes flew by. I thought I had 30 minutes. <laughs> Whatever I had, yeah, it's going to have to wait. Hey, you know how that goes. We always take a little more. You know, hey, but we, appreciate, we appreciate your time and your insight, man. You had some really good stories there. Nah, thanks, fellas. Thanks, fellas. I, I appreciate you having me on. A big thank you to Anthony Smith for giving us that masterclass on storytelling. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you do, we will give you a big shout out as one of our MVP listeners. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Beyond the Lens. And that's a wrap.